is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not write a script like this. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Oh yeah, welcome back. Two weeks in a row in studio. We are so back. Even though that was the name of last week's episode, we're still back. We're still so back. It's James Burley, Nick Guzman, and Gino Alva coming to you from the Rose Hill Studios here on the beautiful campus of Fordham University in Boogie Down Bronx, New York. It's FUV. FC action coming at you, Nick. How are we doing, my brother? I'm doing great. The internet here at Fordham is acting up just a little bit, so I might freestyle just a bit. But now things seem to be loading, so we're fine. But I'm excited to be back in the studio again. Last week, I thought it was a great episode. We went for almost an hour. Um, we're heading to the September international break, which, you know, there's a lot of people who, who want to ban the international break. I still love watching, you know, all the countries get together and play each other, even if the game's don't mean all that much, namely the United States of America facing off against Uzbekistan and Oman. But looking forward to those games, looking forward to see the the U.S. back in action. And yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, shout out to Uzbekistan. But yeah, it's been the long, <laughs> it's been the longest summer of my life. But I'm happy to be back in studio and you know talk about everything about the new season. So yeah, it's been it's been it's been a long summer. It's been a long summer, but it's been a fun summer. You know, we had a Women's World Cup in there. Oh yeah, didn't go our way. We had a Gold Cup in there. Didn't go our way. We and it. we had a Nations League in there that went our way. So, you know, one yep. out of three from the U.S. And they have a couple games that are slated this week in the international break against Uzbekistan and Oman. A lot of people were upset with the quality of opposition that they were able to round up for the September window. Um, the September window across the board, not really that interesting, except for in South America, where uh, Conmebol World Cup qualifiers are actually starting this early. It's kind of... Like Messi just won the World Cup. Messi just won the World Cup, just went to America, and is now immediately leaving his team through a crucial couple of games. He's going to miss, I think, as many as three games playing for Argentina in their quest to qualify again for the 2026 World Cup and defend their title. I, I imagine they'll they play, I think, Peru and Bolivia this week. Uh, either way, they're going to have a, a good time with Messi uh, defending what is now three stars on their chest. But looking more locally... Uh, another big exciting weekend for local soccer as the Fordham University men's club soccer team has their first couple matches this weekend against Sacred Heart and Seton Hall at Murphy Field. Uh, if you want to come catch Funks, you can come watch us at Murphy Field. We're going to have a great season this year. Just had to shout us, shout us out. You know, uh, we're, we're a hardworking group of 36 guys trying to <laughs> trying to capture glory in the new NY Metro season. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that. But let's let's talk U.S. soccer because let's get this one out of the way. Normally. Nick, when it's you and I on these podcasts, we love to spend an entire episode talking about an international break when the U.S. is playing. Even though the squad that they've brought is one of the best we've seen collectively in many, many years, I'm still not super thrilled because it's Uzbekistan and Oman. Is that your reaction to this squad as well? 
Yeah, I'm a little less mad just because in October we have Germany and Ghana. So it's not like we're we're, we're consistently going to be playing this uh, level of competition. But yeah, the fact that it's against Uzbekistan and Oman just sort of like, I don't know. It doesn't feel like as big of a deal as, as maybe if the opponent were better. But, you know, there's been a lot of movement uh, amongst, you know, these players and their club careers. A lot of players in, in different spots, whether it's Matt Turner, Brendan Aronson, you go on and on, Ricardo Pepe now at PSV, Tim Way at Juve, Pulisic at AC Milan. There's been a lot, a lot of movement. And it's going to be interesting to see this group all back together and, and some new faces, too, joining the mix, whether it's uh, Ben Kermeshi or Christopher Lund from uh, Serie B in, in Palermo. There's some exciting new faces, um, but, yeah, not quite the same level of, uh, of, of excitement that I usually have going into an international window. Yeah, I know. I think I know that they're playing Uzbekistan and Oman this month, and next month they're going to be playing, you know, big names Germany and Ghana, who really won the World Cup, and then they play in the on the Nations League quarterfinals. But um, yeah, like what you guys said, I mean, I go back to like all the things that happened in the past year with U.S. soccer, with the Gold Cup, the Nations League, and especially the World Cup and, and the off uh, off the pitch uh, dramatic controversy with Coach and and Gio Reyna, But um, it, yeah, it's a friendly, you know, it's a practice for this uh, Nations League quarterfinal that can potentially. Uh, qualify them to well they're in the Copa America next year which is really big competitions could be happening here so uh whatever with these new players are going to be playing here and these friendlies um hopefully you know they can play really good football I know Burhalter is back finally so let's see how this new era of Burhalter soccer is going to be in in this U.S. men's, men's national team and I think it's highlighted by the fact that this squad is incredibly competitive. It includes only four players who play domestically, one of which is the goalkeeper, Drake Callender, who has been um, a revelation, really, for Inter-Miami in the past year and a half, I would say, even prior to Messi's arrival. And then in defense, Miles Robinson in midfield, Ben Hakramowski, who has come through the ranks Inter-Miami, maybe, maybe a bit early to get him involved uh, with the full senior team, but because he does carry dual citizenship, you think that might be part of the reason here. And then Cade Cowell, who... I've thought has looked pretty pedestrian when he plays for the U.S. national team, but clearly has a lot of potential at just 19 years old. Um, I'm older than him, and I feel like I'm young still, kind of. I don't know. So, yeah, this is this is a really, really strong squad. Um, and the fact that I'm highlighting the lack of domestic players just goes to show how European and how traveled and how well-versed this team has become over the past few years with – I mean, Ethan Horvath is maybe not the greatest example, but the fact that we have two keepers for the same Premier League club is one thing. Horvath probably a now third, he's the third string. string. They brought in that the yeah. guy from Benfica, they right? Brought in the yeah, guy really. from ben yeah, so it's not looking great. for he'll, he'll find a new club eventually. But the point is, this U.S. team is on to bigger and better things, and I think that window in October where they, where they face the Germans might tell us a little bit more about what they're made of. But here it's great to see this group of players together, and hopefully it's two really positive performances from a really talented group of players. And the thing is, you know, going into, you've got this window, then you've got the October window against Germany and Ghana, and then November Nations League uh, quarterfinals, those are qualifiers for the Copa America. Yes, we are hosting that tournament, but if we come out in that two-leg tie, whoever we do end up facing and don't perform and lose that two-leg tie, the Copa America is getting hosted on our home soil, and we're not going to be there. So we have not auto-qualified. Auto we need to still qualify for Copa right. America, so that November window is crucial. So for Greg Berhalter in this group, you've got about... You've got this month, you got next or you've got October window and then November it's game time and you gotta be able to show up for those two legs. But you know, you think about who's not here, someone like Gio Reyna and everybody wants to know what that sort of dynamic is gonna be like between uh Greg Berhalter and Gio Reyna. We're gonna have to wait 
until probably next month. I think Gio's starting to get back into training for Dortmund, but he hasn't been in a match since since that injury against um, in the Nations League way back in June. So that'll be interesting, an interesting thing to keep your eye on. But when I look up and down this team, I think looking at who's performed early in their club season, I've liked a lot what Sergino Des has done with PSV. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who always, no matter what was happening at Barcelona or AC Milan or wherever he was, he would still show up and perform for the national team. So now it seems like he has some kind of stability for PSV, whether he's playing on the right or the left. So you wonder how he's going to play coming into this into this, uh, into this this window. And I think Christian Pulisic has looked about as good as he has in a, in a very, very long time for AC Milan. So you hope that he can continue to carry that form. But I think the thing is, when you look at these friendlies, it's the first game's back under Greg Berhalter. Yes, the opponents are not that great. But you've got something in November that is incredibly crucial because we have to be at the Copa America. And, you know, you think you think if you if you drew out qualifying over a over a long period, we'd probably qualify. But in a two leg in a two leg tie, you know, anything really can happen over over a two leg tie. We've seen that in, in we've seen that so often. And so this group has to be ready for that November window. And yes, this is a friendly, but it's the first t- time back under Greg Berhalter and you have to make sure everybody's on the same page and ready to play some Berhalter ball. I think it's going to be uh, interesting to find out who the U.S. plays in that November window because this window and the October window will decide that uh, in the Nations League qualifiers, which also serve as the uh, Copa America qualifiers. It's very interesting to see when Comebol and CONCACAF mix how uh, flawed and broken the systems of qualification can be and how forced it is. But nevertheless, the U.S., given a bit of a crutch in that they don't have to play in the pre-round, they play the winners of two groups, could be... Most likely Panama, El Salvador, Haiti, Jamaica, Honduras, uh, Guatemala, Martinique, Curacao. Those types of teams will be in their way. So obviously it should be in the U.S.'s favor, but a game like Uzbekistan and Oman maybe gives you a better measuring stick for that sort of thing. With that said, that's going to wrap it up for our U.S. talk this week. We'll probably go in a bit more depth when we see them play a match next week, and I think that'll be maybe a little bit more exciting. Uh, Very pumped uh, with Christian Pulisic's play in AC Milan, the AC Milan Player of the Month. And he's very much deserved that. He's been uh, a spectacle scoring not just goals, but very pretty goals. And he's done a very good job doing that. It means so much to just have him playing at the club level and succeeding for this national team, just like for the optics of it all. Because when he's not, uh, everyone just gets a little bit more down about everything. So that's that for the U.S. Let's transfer over to Europe, much like our friend J.M.I. Tolkien will do at the end of this calendar year. Uh, let's talk about the Ballon d'Or nominations first. Before we get into any uh, club discussion, any particular players, let's just talk about the 30-man list that was uh, dropped out. It didn't include one big name, but it includes many others, and we imagine the biggest name will probably be the favorite to win. Uh, at least that's how the way I'm looking at it right now. He won the World Cup. The second biggest name being Cristiano Ronaldo is not in this list. It's going to be a two-horse race between Erling Holland and Lionel Messi, uh, but I think it's got to be Messi's to lose because he's a World Cup winner now. Yeah, I think based on uh, previous years and the way they've decided the Ballon d'Or, I look, I think back to the the Luka Modric year where he won, made, based almost entirely on 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 World Cup performance. And I think for for someone like Messi, this will likely be his last Ballon d'Or. But I think the fact that he won the World Cup, no matter, yes, it was very turbulent at at PSG, and he probably, and again, people say he 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 wasn't good at PSG, but like he was still. If you look at the numbers, if you're compared to anybody else, he had a good season for for PSG. 
Um, but now he's playing for Inter Miami, so I think people will probably get a little upset if Messi wins. But I would be very shocked if he doesn't. I think. But after this year, I think I think they would likely be the end of the Messi Ronaldo uh, Ballon d'Or era. Ronaldo not even nominated, but Messi now playing for Inter Miami. I think this could be this will be the end of the era, but I think it'll be it'll end with Messi uh, on top and taking home another Ballon d'Or. It's kind of difficult to to talk about these top two, Erling Holland and Messi. Yes, in 2018, Modric won solely because of the World Cup performance and, and obviously the Champions League performance in, in 2018. But, you know, we saw what Messi did in the World Cup, how great he was with his teammates winning it, especially in the final and in, in, in the in the knockouts. But, you know, we also got to like appreciate Erling Holland and how he uh, performed in, 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 this season, in the last season in the Premier League and the Champions League and the FA Cup and the other competitions. But... Yeah, I would understand. I mean, firstly, for me, I would understand why fans are going to be mad if Messi wins because we we saw what Holland did. But uh, yeah, it's 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 tough not to give it to Messi after what he did so long. Obviously, it, it could be his last Ballon d'Or, but uh, it, it's him to win it. He's going to win it because the fans want it, and France football obviously knows that it's going to be his last one. Who knows? Next year, he could be in the rankings for for Inter Miami, but. You, you don't know. You, ne- you never know in football, so we're going to have to see what happens. But, it, yeah, it's definitely go- not going to be a shocker to some people when the results come out that you know he could win it this year. I just can't wait to see the league, uh, specifically Major League Soccer, the league like Instagram account hyping up the fact that an MLS player has won the Ballon d'Or when it's just messy. But, you know, that'll be fun for all of us to see. I, if I'm just looking at this list, a few things that, before we move on, talking about Manchester United-Arsenal, that big match that happened this past weekend, let's... I'm just looking at some of the names on this list, like Andre Onana. Like, yeah, he, he did very good in the Champions League last year. I don't know if I would consider him one of the 30 best players in the world last year. Um, another one that I thought was very much, I mean, he's a great player, probably not deserved, is Julian Alvarez. I mean, he was a bench player for the team that won the World Cup and the team that won the Champions League. I'm a big Julian Alvarez fan, and I think if he was in any other Premier League team besides Man City, if he was starting for any other Prem team, I think he's scoring 20 goals easy. But I don't think but, he's in but, this list. But he does not deserve to be in this list. No, not right doesn't. now. Not even in the top 10. And look, he's a, he's a terrific player. And then, you know what? I'll give, I'll give uh, some flowers to players who probably, many in many different years, probably wouldn't have gotten the uh, recognition they deserved, but did. I'll go Kim Min Jai. Yep, Kim Min Jai, one of the best center backs in the world last yep. year. Still one of the most underrated, and he made a big move, and now he's probably going to be... Uh, I would say one of the highest price tags on any center back moving forward. Uh, one of the better, more uh, ball-oriented defenders. Uh, I'll say Kvica Karachegla. I, I definitely did. Kvarachegla. Kvarachegla, yeah. I can never get it right. But he was terrific. The Georgian international probably doesn't get enough credit just because of where he's from. And I think just about everything else is, is pretty fair. Barela is a good shout. I thought yeah. was had a very terrific season last year. So overall... I have very few gripes with the uh, with the, the Ballon d'Or list, and I often uh, don't until they come out with the 32-1 ranking in the final votes, and then I'm like, how is Jorginho third, you know, or whatever he got? What, what was it? He was third? He was, it was, I don't remember if it was third exactly, but he was way higher than he should yeah, have been. Yeah, so the fact of the matter, maybe Julian Alvarez gets top five now because he won uh, He won the Champions Yeah, that would League. be outrageous. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. He won the he won the Champions League in Euros that year, Jorginho, and that's why he was so high up. So, you know, we'll find out. But for now, I'm okay with everything. Transitioning now to a little bit of Premier League action, we had Manchester United and Arsenal. And I thought 
that was probably the best match that to have circled around, and it delivered with the early drama, two goals within a minute of a part in the first half, and then the late drama with Bruno Fernandes thinking he scores the winner, and then it's two uh, stoppage time goals from Arsenal to win it. There was the disallowed penalty on Kai Havertz. This was this was a terrific game of football all around. Gino, I'll throw this one over to you first because I think you might have some strong opinions of about course. the way this match was played and how Eric Ten Hag set up his team. But overall, this Arsenal team, I'll, I'll ask you about Arsenal first because they were the victors. Is this another repeat of last year where they're going to fight all the way towards the top of the table? And is United sinking down? Or was this like a really good toe-to-toe game that just didn't go their way in the final few minutes? It could be for Arsenal. We saw last year how they played in the year before prior. Uh, they have the players, they have new players, but in the Man United perspective, I mean, they are a problem. I mean, they create so many chances to not score, and since the start of the season, they've not been playing really good soccer. It's a broken team. New players come in, players leave, but they're showing the football that it's not Manchester United. It's almost like they're playing football for like individuals because they have the talent out there, but they just won't execute on the pitch. It's it's a mess there. I mean, obviously you can you can bring in the injuries they had so far and not having you know their best players you know starting, and you know obviously those are, are obviously going to be excuses for from fans. But the performance against Arsenal until the two goals in the late minutes, it it was it was it was hard to describe you know their performance against Arsenal because we've seen it last year too. I mean, Arsenal very organized. They're playing really good football, but I mean. The performance from Man U, it's it's it isn't especially in the last two minutes, in the last two goals. Sorry, it isn't news to to the fans. The fans know how Man U plays. It's it's not going to be a pretty season if the manager and well, if the manager and the team fixes their problem and starts sco- scoring goals because obviously winning the game is obviously important. They won earlier in the season from Wolves. Wolves deserve to win the game, but Man U got the late goal in the end, and obviously it's important to win the games. But if you're winning a game by luck, how are you going to win the games when you can't score goals? So that team has to be fixed. We don't know what's going to happen. And obviously we're going to get into this conversation soon, but there's been controversy surrounding Man United with two two players especially. And uh, it's, a, it's a broken team. It's, it's not a good vibe over there right now at, at Manchester United Football Club, but, you know, it's always going to fall on the manager and it's always going to fall on the star players. And I think Rashford wasn't even uh, mentioned in the Ballon d'Or when he had that little spell last year, which was kind of crazy to me. He should be nominated, but yeah, it's 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 a mess there. Yeah, to me, it 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 felt a little bit like watching Man United in this game against Arsenal. To myself, I was like, is this is this like Fulham going to play Arsenal away? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. In terms of like exactly. the strategy, you think about the kind of the kind of soccer that Arsenal were playing, and just like compare that to what United were doing in the long diagonal balls and trying to open up the space and get Marcus Rashford mm-hmm. on the run. It felt like what a lower table lower table team would do going away to the Emirates against Arsenal. And I think once Martinez and Lindelof had to be were subbed out and Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire came in, I don't think necessarily I cannot believe Johnny Evans is on Manchester United. A one year deal too. I what year is it? Is it like twenty eleven? Twenty fourteen. Like twenty fourteen? Like I, I don't get it. And the 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 dip in quality from Maguire and Evans to Martinez and, and Lindelof it's like it's night and day, and then you think about also United did have chances to score in this game and the 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 talking points this entire summer is okay Manchester United need a striker they need someone to Rasmus Hoyland they need someone to score the goals and it's uh Rasmus Hoyland yeah which think about. 
the other strikers that teams in the Big Six have compared to Rasmus Hoyland. Mm-hmm. And I think they didn't they didn't solve their uh their their goal scoring woes. They didn't they didn't get get a striker that's going to be the guy to lead the line. And I'm going to bring this up again because I think it's the worst take anyone's ever said on this podcast. Chris Carino saying that Marcus Rashford could play as the nine. No, no, <laughs> no, no. That I think he started to come around. Especially, especially if look, if if United are to to stick to trying to find Rashford on the counter and try to find speed on the wings on the counter, you need someone ideally a striker who could hold up the ball and play off of him. And that's just simply not the game that Marcus Rashford is ever going to play, no matter how much you pigeonhole it. But continue. Yes, and I think. So many of these problems that we saw in this game, like people were talking about over the summer and how to address them, and none of them have really been addressed. No. And now there's more drama with 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 Anthony and 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 all of that. But I think this is a United team where I think yes, it took two extra time goals from Arsenal to win it. Um, yes, the the, the winner was on a, a set piece that you know took a deflection and and could have bounced any any which way. But I think. To me, I really saw the gulf in quality between Arsenal and Manchester United, and I think, I think, Arsenal are a much better team, and I think United have a long way to go to get back into that that top two sort of upper echelon tier of the Premier League under Eric Ten Hag. And this was a disappointing performance, and I think this club. You think about what happened with with Jadon Sancho and the whole training drama. I, I think back to Manchester City. This is. I'm going to make a little... When, when Drow Cancelo, there started to be little problems with Drow Cancelo, he was moved, shipped off they just moved on. In, the, in like five minutes. Yeah. Like you blinked and you're like, wait, Drow Cancelo starts for... Si-, and it's like all of a sudden he's gone yeah. because they had a problem. But Jaden Sancho is going to make an Instagram post and it's going to be a whole thing. And it's just it's just different culture. And and I think United right now have a lot a lot to think about as they move forward the in this defini- Premier League season. The definition of exposure is Manchester United. Yeah. Exposure on the pitch, exposure off the pitch. It's terrible there. They're this a club that's run pretty poorly, I think, to, to say the very least. If I can look at their match against Tottenham as well, I think there was a lot revealed about the way United plays then. They couldn't handle combating with the fluid, fluidity in midfield specifically of Tottenham, and they were beaten in transition a lot, and they couldn't uh, couldn't control the ball in areas they wanted to control the ball in. And I think they sort of abandoned that philosophy entirely going into the Arsenal game, which I guess makes sense if you couldn't handle Spurs... Arsenal are a better side, so to to so to uh, alter the way you want to play is not necessarily terrible, but for it to look as ugly and as uninspired and as defeated from the from the from the get as it did against Arsenal is very very uh, discouraging to a lot of Manchester United fans, and that's on top of all the discouraging things that are happening at their club and have been for the past years. Not just talking about Anthony and Mason Greenwood, of course, but going back to just the Glazers' ownership in general. They have been ostracizing their own fans for a very long time now, and people are fed up. And when the team goes out and plays like they're a mid-table side away at Arsenal, yeah, it's a tough place to go play and get a result. And they gave it a pretty pretty good fight till the end. It's still not going to be enough for what the club should be. And they're, now they're kind of getting run out of their own city. I know we've sort of experienced that for a while. Man City won five of the last six Premier League titles. But Manchester United still, I think until City won the Champions League, you say Manchester, you think of United. When you say football in England, you think of Manchester United. I, I'm not thinking of Manchester United when I think of Manchester anymore. I'm thinking of City first, and this is coming from Manchester United fan. So something has to change. Correct. This is this is this is not me like getting on my high horse and saying Glazers out. Like there's been enough of that. We know this. It's just a fact of the matter is 
Manchester United, you put it perfectly, Gino. It's a broken club that needs mm-hmm. to change its direction. And I think the most pertinent, most relevant image of that is through Antony and Mason Greenwood, who the latter of which has just signed for Hitafe on loan for the 2023-24 season. And that goes back to what you were talking about. Joao Cancelo had a bit of an issue with... I, we don't even know what the extent of the issues were, do we? No, and then he's gone. And he's just gone. He's just gone. Because Certainly, that's... it cannot be nearly as serious as what's going on with either of these two players. Mm-hmm. Anthony is still with the team. They, they're opening an investigation into him, but the language almost mirrored identically what they did for Mason Greenwood, and the language from the players, pretty similar. Mason Greenwood coming out saying, I did not do the things I was accused of. There's photos and recordings of both of these players doing the he things do it, that they though. were accused of. And then to see just all <laughs> over video so, evidence, just do all over social media to see Hatafe yeah. fans and just the community embracing Mason Greenwood. I'm sure so many people in that community aren't, but to get a hundred percent of the photos and videos, and I think Fabrizio Romano, maybe as much as I look up to that man and how hard he works, I would say is maybe a little bit culpable for some of the ways in which Mason Greenwood has been re-represented in the media. And it doesn't help that the Twitter check marks are almost entirely in support of him. So every time you see a post, if there's uh, positively things being shown about Mason Greenwood, the comments will be as well. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to flood the comment section and say mean things about the man. I just think it's kind of disgusting that this is still going on and how Hitafe and La Liga, who has, has so many issues already with stuff off the field with many clubs and racism and mistreatment of players and not paying their players across and that's across Europe by the way but for Hatafe to go ahead and bring in Mason Greenwood I think is disgusting and for United to only do it on loan and say that we're going to work with Mason to achieve that outcome like it's a two sides to this story is I think terrible and the fact that now it's happened with another player and there's significant amount of evidence pointing to the player's wrongdoing I I'm I'm very much uh I'm very much losing my mind when it comes to trying to defend my status as a Manchester United fan, it's become very hard to do. And not just because the team has been a pedestrian in the Premier League since 2013. It's a huge timeline. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Hitafe and Mason Greenwood are a match made in heaven. Um, <laughs> have, you, have you ever seen Hitafe play at home against Real Madrid yeah. or Barcelona? Yeah, they're, they're pretty, it's like, uh, it's like not even soccer. No, they're not even. It's like the amount of like, Time wasting and rough challenges, and just trying to disrupt everything. It's like lit- It's it's hard. That's to watch. a lot of La Liga. It's a lot of La Liga. L- Listen, Hitafe. I've had some games watching Hitafe host like Barcelona or host Real Madrid. It gets ugly. But <laughs> I think for Manchester United, the whole thing where like it seemed like he was going to come back, but then there was the whole uh, inquiry by the Athletic where they they, they sort of uh, ground up some new information, and then it seemed like United reversed course to not bring him back. Which at least, thank God, they did that. I, I literally, I can't imagine that there was even a discussion within Manchester United to bring back Mason Greenwood. But there was. They, the, it, the, it a was lot of happening. Things, a lot of things pointed to it happening, and the fans, in many, in many respects, stopped that from happening. So yeah. a lot, of, a lot of respect to the grassroots organization from Manchester United fans to protest that decision. Yeah, and I think when I look on uh, social media, any any comment, any comment section on a post about Mason Greenwood is overwhelmingly positive and like you got this bro like like they're out to get you yeah. like that kind of thing like has, have, has everybody listened to like the recordings like there's yeah. like there's physical evidence of his wrongdoing and people just turn a blind eye and and because he 
I guess has potential as as a as a right as a winger. Uh, it, it's it's very frustrating, and I think Hitafe seem like they've embraced the the like sort of notoriety that he, that he's had with the things that they're posting on, on on social media. It's just it's an ugly situation. And I think he was always going to sign for someone else, um, or he was always always going to sign for a club and, and keep playing after sort of the what happened in the investigation. But I I just think. It's it's sad to see sort of the reception that Mason Greenwood has received, and I, I this with the whole Anthony thing as well. He's been dropped from Brazil, but for this for this uh, international window, but you know it'll be very interesting to see what the the outcome is there because it seems like for Mason Greenwood he just took the the, the consequences was he just took like tears off, and now he's playing in La Liga. That's pretty much what it looks like. It like hurts my head to talk about. Greenwood, Anthony, and other stories that came out in Manchester United. I mean, the United fans kn- knew that Mason Greenwood is an amazing player. We've seen it years ago and how special he was going to be in the Premier League and in the English national team. And then the news broke out about the assault on his on his, uh, on his ex girlfriend last year. And you know, we were, we didn't know we were going to be in a whirlwind of a story. And you know, the charges were dropped, and that was the end of it. We didn't hear about it for 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 months. And then United and Mason were still talking about what to do, what to solve with this problem, what's the best for both parties. And then he was loaned to Hitafe, and it was better for them to both move on. But I still don't understand why it was a loan. I just would have sold the player and just go to Hitafe and just, just sell him. I mean, there's nothing for him to do at the club. There's no plan for him in Arrington Hogs as a and uh, Buck, but. And what I just read here like a couple of minutes ago to Hitafe, one of representative Hitafe just said that Mason Greenwood could possibly be the best player for Hitafe's history in, in of all time. And that for me just says a lot about like <laughs> the direction like the club is going in. Because if you're getting that player, you're bringing controversy. You're going to be bringing all the media outlets talking about you know his wrongdoings and or or, or what or so forth. But it, it's just like you know, for Man United, it's, it's gonna sh- it's not gonna shy away with the consistent questions about Greenwood in the club, and then Anthony comes into picture. Luckily, there's an international break. We'll see what happens at the end of it with Anthony. But for Brazil to drop him from the team just says a lot because of how the national team is handling the situation. While Man U said they still know what to do with Anthony, and obviously there's an investigation going on. But I, it's, I'm very curious to see where this one goes because you know it's a hellfire at Manchester United Football Club. Will we see Anthony be playing? for the Red Devils again this season we don't know I mean it's an ongoing investigation but don't be surprised like every week we're going to hear some new story or some new evidence coming out and that's going to aggravate the fans while the fans are just protesting every game every day about getting the Glaciers out of the club so what is going on at that club it's it's bad I I don't and I don't know when we're going to see the end of this particular saga wrap up if, if if ever because it's a dumpster fire and it's bad in more ways than one so that's I don't want to have to leave it there for Manchester United because I do think that there's a lot of things to like about this team moving forward. I think some of the moves that they, I said some of the moves they made this summer might uh, point them into a direction of winning. Some of them may not. Uh, Sofian Amrabat is a player I really like, but I'm not sure why he's on Manchester United right now. Uh, Mason Mount is another one of them. That's probably so, the biggest one for me. So Mason uh, Mount. You know, so uh, that's that that that's that. I think we'll leave it at that. If, I, if we just want to take a look at the Premier League. Uh, table right now as expected City four matches four wins top of the table and then there's only a few other teams that are left undefeated after that Spurs Liverpool West Ham Arsenal and then of course the mighty bees from Brentford who have drawn three of their first four but have yet to lose 
Uh, for me, that's been my highlight of the season in England so far is that Brentford joined the likes of four top six teams and West Ham as the only one to be undefeated through four matches. To me, that's beautiful because, I I mean, I don't know. I love the way Brentford play. They're a fun team. I I think it's it's I, it's it's good to see uh, Brighton mm-hmm. uh, picking up where they left off. You, you, you sell Caicedo and, and you do all the business they do and someone else, you just more people step up. Now Billy Gilmore, Billy Gilmore is playing like that sort of cog in the midfield, and it's and it's exciting to see West Ham too winning the Conference League last year. Then you come back, you got Edson Alvarez at CDM, and they're undefeated uh, at the start of of uh, of this season. I think Man City, no no question that 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 they're expected to be first with four wins. But I think of all the 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 big teams, you know, City haven't faced anybody in the big six yet. Even though I'm sure they're going to roll over them whenever they do. Uh, but I think when you look at this table, especially towards the bottom, and I see where uh, Everton are, particularly, I think Everton are in trouble this season uh, for relegation. And for Newcastle, too, New- Newcastle, three losses so far out of three games, or out of four games, three rather. Three tough, tough matches. Three tough matches. So I think even though they might be at 14th right now, I think I'd expect Newcastle and everybody they have in that team to... Uh, to climb their way back up the table. But I think also for Newcastle, I've heard some interesting things online recently about how maybe they might need to move on from Eddie Howe at some point. Uh, I don't. I, I, I heard this on Twitter. But early for it's shockingly early for that. But I think there is a trajectory that the club is going and if they continue and continue to rise where they could potentially attract a manager oh, but a big above manager the caliber sure. of Eddie Howe. But I think for now, no need to overreact for Newcastle. Uh, they had a very, very tough first four fixtures. But I think... When you look at the top of the table, City in first, no surprises, but I think the other big, not really, yes, I'd call it shocking, Spurs in second with three wins and a draw look really, really good yeah. under big Ange Postacoglu. And you, you you thought without Harry Kane, what does this team do? They're playing really attractive and good soccer. And uh, as someone who's really... Scored as many goals through four matches as City have. Yeah, and... They looked good against Burnley. Son had the hat trick. It's just free flowing. I think the the two the midfield pair of um of Basuma and Saar, I think is really key for for this Spurs team. And also James Mad James Madison. It it when I look at uh Arsenal buying Kai Havertz and uh Man United buying Mason Mount, I feel like those two teams should have been in the conversation for James Madison. Mm. I think James Madison is a better player than both Mason Mount and Kai Havertz. Really, I do, and I don't and, know if I—I I don't know if I'd go that far. I love James Madison's game, but I don't know if I would. Who do you think's better? I think Kai, Kai Havertz, like, is talent-wise, has all the talent in the world to be one of the best number ten second strikers. When has Kai Havertz the, ever been productive never been, at club he's never level? Been productive. Besides, it's, besides at Leverkusen, that's why it's so. That's I just why think it's about so Kai Havertz misses. Yeah, me. that's why it's so frustrating. But but uh, anyways. Yeah, I, I think Madison's found a home in this at, at at that attacking midfield position for the Spurs team, and I think they should be very proud of how they've started this season, considering they lost their captain and, and the face of their club to be three wins out of four. So it's a it's a big deal. And I, I'm glad you mentioned the free flowing nature of their game because that's something that we never saw under Tottenham that they were always too one dimensional, and every manager that they brought in that tried to change that couldn't figure it out from. Mourinho to Pochettino it was always a problem in how can we get production out of players that aren't named Son Kane and in some cases uh, recently Kulisevsky but now that they've I don't want to say that it's the 
Cristiano Ronaldo effect where you bench him and Gonzalo Ramos scores a hat trick. But when you sort of open up the team and you kind of get a better picture of what it is, maybe you can sort of tap into some areas of success that you never really thought you could do before, like in midfield. So I think that Spurs are trending in the right direction. I don't think they finished the season as second, but I think top four is in the cards, and they are going to be firmly in that discussion throughout the entire... I'm, like, I'm been very impressed not only because they've gotten results and they've scored goals, but because it's been consistent in the way that they've done it, and that's why I'm very bullish about their chances moving on to the rest of the year. I think we can finish off this week's episode. We're going to talk a little bit domestically again, but we're going to go Major League Soccer. We're going to talk Messi because Inter-Miami LAFC was last weekend, and a lot of the teams in front of Lionel Messi and Inter-Miami in the Eastern Conference Major League Soccer standings are garbage. Absolute garbage. They're an embarrassment to their fan base. New York bases. Rivals, New York City FC, namely. They all continue to drop points, and if there's one thing that I'm looking at on the table that is helping Inter-Miami more than anything, it's those two games in hand, and in some cases three, that they have on those teams in front of them. City have played 28, Inter-Miami have played 25, the, the magic number for them is they're eight points off the playoff line. They've got nine matches left to do it, and every other team has seven or six. I think Inter-Miami make the playoffs, and, and then I, when they make the playoffs, I think they cruise to the final, and I think they're going to win the whole thing, and I think it's going to be terrible. But now, those two games in hand, they're going to have to do it without Messi. He's going to be with Argentina. It's simply a matter of is there enough games for them to climb back up the table because this team is, I mean, no they're offense. number two in the MLS power rankings. No offense. No offense. <laughs> and they're fourteenth. No offense to the New York Red Bulls. No offense to them. No offense to them. Offense. They are hot garbage. <laughs> yep. And Inter Miami is so much better than they are. You can say the same thing about NYCFC. Correct. It's just a matter: of, is there enough games? No. And I think Messi missing these two international games, but they they still have Busquets. Correct. They still have Jordi Alba. Yeah. Um. And they then, should win. They still have Martinez, they and I don't know if they have Campana. He might have been called up for Ecuador. But these, it's just a matter of is there enough time. I think they're going to win the U.S. Open Cup. Can you imagine if they win, like, a treble? Yeah, when he comes half in, of a season. He came in August, yeah. and they win a treble. <laughs> it, it's happening. It's, it is happening. It's happening. I, it's, I think it's just a matter once, of— It's they once they make drop, the playoffs. They, they really can't slip up. They gotta, they gotta just, they're going to win games. Well, but yeah. but uh, you can't afford to really have any slip-ups because their backs are against the wall, but— in terms of quality, I mean, if you added three more games to this season, I mean, I oh, think they're making the playoffs, no question. No it's just a doubt. matter of, is there enough games left to have them climb up the table? But then you look at who's above them, and everyone who's above them is absolutely awful. So I anticipate Inter-Miami making the and playoffs they, and going on a run. They play so many of those teams. They play Toronto in September 20th. Win. They, they play New York City on September 30th. That's a win. They That's play Chicago win. on October That's 4th. That's and then they end the season... On October 18th, they play Charlotte at home, and then on decision day, they play Charlotte away three days later. So that's win-win. And bye look, bye they've already, since it, since in the final uh, 12 matches that they had in their MLS playoff push since Messi arriving, they opened that up with a win away against the Red Bulls, then they tied midweek against Nashville at home. But that but that Nashville team, they are, they are the... Atletico Madrid and Champions League of Major League Soccer. They pack it in. They make it really difficult. That was that result is actually not that terrible in hindsight. But then the, to go to LAFC and then to not only win, but to dominate and make Vela and Denny Bowanga look silly, that should be a message to the rest of every team that they're playing left. They know that they've gotten the, the match where they've dropped points out of the way. They know that they have to win. And I would be very, very scared if I'm sporting Kansas City, who have had a tough year, 
They got to play them on Saturday, even without Messi. Can you imagine if Inter Miami were good before Messi? Not good, but like say they were like in like, like seventh, watch, eighth place. How about watchable? They were watchable before Messi got here. <laughs> they would be winning every game like three, oh. like by. I mean, yeah. I think it's really good that he came to the like by far the worst team in the league. I yeah, um, I like it just to sort of even things out a little bit. But can you, if Inter Miami were like say sixth in the Eastern Conference and like having a pretty good season, decent season, good season, and then Messi and Busquets and Alba came. I mean, it'd be it'd be lights out it'd for be this a wash. entire league. It'd be a wash. If they don't make it, poor Apple, because Apple's rooting for <laughs> Miami to win this thing and go all the way. But True. if they don't make it because of those games, Messi isn't there, then, you know, well, then, hey, at least we saw, like, a good season for Messi and Miami, but next season, the next season they they're winning, winning not even 100%. treble. They're winning every single, tri- like, a quadruple. The CONCACAF Champions League. Yeah. They're already, in, Cup. they're already in the Champions League. Oh, yeah. So, U.S. Well, Open Champions Cup. Champions Cup now, it's called. Sorry. And I guess the new... Uh, 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 Leaks Cup, but uh, yeah. my biggest question is: those games Messi aren't there, like isn't there? Are the prices going down for tickets? That's a really good question. I I'm gonna say because the disrespect towards Busquets and Jordi Alba for people in that one. It's also a good product. Like they're a good yeah. team. Now. I still think it's, that. Yeah, so this Saturday they play at home against Sporting KC, and I think that that match is gonna be sold out regardless because right. it's a small enough stadium and they've created this brand now and everybody knows them. I think that they're gonna sell out against Sporting KC. But then they go on the weekend away at Atlanta, who have a, cr- a great fan culture, but they know Messi's not coming. It'll just be Atlanta fans there, I think, for the most part. And maybe a, you pepper in, you pepper in some inner Miami fans, and you probably get thirty, forty thousand at that game. Regardless, if we don't see Miami in the playoffs this year with this new structure, the teams know next year that Miami is going all the way. All right. Well, I I think that that is very very. Uh, as long as Apple's happy. That's a strong prediction. I, I'm not going to fight it. And I think if Inter-Miami make the playoffs, that's going to be the hardest part about what they have in front of them. Uh, if they do that, they'll win the Cup. If not, they'll win it next year. Uh, the only teams that stand in their way really are in 8th is Montreal and ninth is D.C. And then a point off of D.C. in 10th is Chicago. And then a point off of Chicago in 11th is Charlotte. And then even a point off of them is New York City. But New York City are god-awful. The New York Red Bulls are god-awful. I don't think either of those teams make New the York playoffs. New York is god-awful. New York is not red. It's not blue. It's garbage. Beige. It's, it's green. beige. It's, yeah, it's puke green. It's a, <laughs> puke it is a disgusting green. vomit green. The most disgusting it's terrible. shade of green you could it's imagine. Terrible. I wish, I w- I wish right. they were good, but, you know. You never know. You can't, you can't always have what you want. No. This is going to be the first time in 14 years that uh, the New York Red Bulls don't make the playoffs. I'm putting my stamp on it now. I'm not even going to say, like, if they don't make it, it'll be the first time. No, they, they won't make it. it it's going to be the first time in 14 years. City have been a playoff team since their inaugural season in 2015. They're not making it. They're they're ahead of the Red Bulls right now, but with that game in hand, I can confidently say that New York City FC is a bigger dumpster fire than the New York Red Bulls, and I don't think it's very close. It's terrible. Particularly. Very terrible. Um, yeah, so that's going to do it for FUVFC. <laughs> Uh, happy Thursday, everybody! New York soccer is terrible. Yeah, well, you know that we had They're to terrible. we had to end it locally. And if you want to watch some good shout out soccer, Florida men's soccer with yeah. their their yeah. comeback against the Georgetown. best New York oh down God. by three Danny goals. DiPolito, Danny DiPolito at the death. Wow. What a baller! This team is good. They're going to play on Monday against Loyal Maryland too. Uh, do they play today? Or Possibly. tomorrow? I think they they might have another game before then. I'd have to check that. Uh, the Fordham women's team came back with uh, a they ended up drawing Stony Brook in that game, but that was a really good performance. They bodied Wagner in their opener, so they got a lot of great soccer in the Bronx to enjoy. A Fordham men's club team plays this weekend. They're the best team in the Bronx, definitely better than New York City FC. But that will do it for Nick Guzman and Gino Alva. I'm James Burley. This has been 
WFV's best, if not only, soccer podcast, FUVFC. We will see you guys back in studio again next week.